before Christmas, I was doing some serious research. You can ask Annette, she'll tell you. I don't know if you know that there's a, a certain genre of movie that they show in the lead up to Christmas. It's a midday movie. Um, it's always G-rated. Um, and it's a, what I would call a Christmas romance movie. And um, I, I, I watch it and I sort of go along the story. Annette can walk in, look at it for two minutes and she'll tell me exactly what's going to happen, how it will end and whatever, and then, and then move on. But, but I thought this genre of storytelling is a bit like the Book of Ruth. Let me just paint the picture because most of these movies fit exactly this. There's normally a lead male and a lead female character in the, in the movie and they come from very different backgrounds almost different worlds of spheres of influence. Um, in these movies, they nearly always have either a close family member or a close friend who is encouraging them to find love and romance and is involved around the fringes trying to make this happen. Um, during the, the length of the, the story, what happens is that these people from different worlds start to get to know each other and you can see how over time there starts to be forming a sense of relationship between those two people. And then usually at that stage when it looks like it's going to happen, you know what's going to happen, don't you? Somebody comes in who's either an ex-boyfriend or um, some other male person who then threatens to unravel the whole um, romance altogether. And then um, in this particular type of movie, what happens at the end is that they try several times during the movie, but the very final scene is always what? A kiss. That's right. They, they save that up to the end of the movie. Now, I'm not saying that the Book of Ruth is a Christmas romance movie, because the Book of Ruth was written well over 3,000 years ago during the time of the judges in the history of people. Maybe the Christmas movies read Ruth and thought that's a good idea, I don't know. But um, the book of Ruth um, tells us a story, um, a romance story, um, about Ruth and about her adventures as she goes through. One of the things that you know in a good story is that you need to know who the characters are. And so the three characters, and we've already been introduced to these, the first one was Naomi. And Naomi um, was a person who was born and grew up in Israel. She actually knew Yahweh, the true God, but due to famine and circumstances, she and her family left Israel and went and lived in Moab. Today we would probably call them um, economic refugees. And as they settled there, even though their circumstances changed and the sort of society they lived in changed, um, they still held on to their sense of who the true God was. Um, they meant to stay for a season and they then stayed for a long, long time, so much so that the boys grew up and they married local girls and then family tragedy hit. And so Naomi, in um, a period of time, lost first her husband and then her two sons um, who died. She was left with two daughter-in-laws. One was Ruth and the other daughter-in-law um, was married to the other son. And then one day, Ruth, um, Naomi hears that God has been helping Israel back in the homeland. And so she says to her daughter-in-laws, look, your prospects aren't very great by hanging with me. 
why don't you go back to your families, find a new husband, and, um, and then they can provide for you. So she was really releasing them from any family obligation so that they could be cared for because she knew that when she went back to Israel that her circumstances would be very poor, um, that she would um, struggle to survive, let alone with um, two daughter-in-laws um, to look after as well. And one daughter-in-law, she saw the wisdom of that and so she shed some tears and she left. But Ruth, the second daughter-in-law, um, had found something far more valuable in her relationship with Naomi and with her family than just a marriage relationship in a family. You see, Ruth was a Moabite. She grew up with no knowledge of the true God and it would seem to me that as she came to know this family, she also came to know the God to whom they worshipped. And there's no other explanation for her loyalty to Ruth except that she was committed to Ruth as a person but also to the God who Naomi knew. And we see this in chapter 1 verse 16 when Ruth says to Naomi, where you go, I will go and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. So there is a journey that Ruth is on. And then in the second chapter, we meet the third main character of the story, Boaz, um, a mature gentleman, by the way, that we read the text, a Jewish man of um, standing. He is looked up to in the society in which he lives. He's a landholder. Um, and if you could imagine, like in those movies, two characters that were further apart, a, a widowed Moabite lady and a well-to-do, well-thought-of Jewish man who was honoured in the community, um, then you would think that those two people lived in such different worlds that there would be no point of connection. Um, it doesn't tell us that he was only noble, but he was favoured by all, and he was observant. And last week we saw how um, even though Ruth was out there doing the most menial of job, following the harvesters and picking up um, grain that was left behind, Boaz notices her. And because he knew something of Naomi's story, he also therefore knew something of Ruth's story. And we see that he takes a real interest in Ruth. And so when he's talking to Ruth, even this seems like the most unimaginable conversation, the rich um, landowner talking to the, the destitute person collecting grain, um, he says these words. He says in chapter 2, 11 and 12, I've been told all about you. I've heard about everything you've done for your mother-in-law since your husband died. I know that you left your father and mother and I know that you left your country. You came to live with people you didn't know before. May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May the Lord, the God of Israel, bless you richly. You have come to him to find safety under his care. And Ruth is taken aback. Um, she actually says in verse 10, Why are you being so kind to me, Boaz? In fact, why are you even noticing me? I'm from another country. Three characters. Um, there's a story that's unfolding. 
And so we come to chapter 3 this morning and we hear some more of the story. And the first part of the story, we're just going to read a few bits and go through. Um, I've, I've put down here as being Naomi's plan. That's a polite way to say it. It would seem to me this is Naomi's scheme about how she is going to care for Ruth and um, provide a suitable husband for her much-loved daughter-in-law. This is how the story goes. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. And when it says one day, it doesn't just mean, oh, she just thought of it. I think Naomi's been thinking about this for quite a while. You would listen to the story. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. What an amazing story. Um, What an amazing scheme. Did you notice how Naomi seemed to have some sort of inside information of the very movements of Boaz and what was happening? Um, She was was pretty cluey in the whole thing. But what I want you to notice with this story is that um, there are some customs which are not our customs, some traditions which we don't know too much about historically, but from the story we can tell. And it really comes down to this that what Ruth was doing by this symbolic act of going to the threshing floor, uncovering his feet and lying down at his feet, was in their tradition passing on a very significant message. In a culture where it would be very inappropriate for um, a woman to ask a man to marry her, um, I talked to some younger people who tell me that's not inappropriate in our culture, but in that culture at that time, Um, This was a very clear symbolic act to let the fellow know that if he was interested or willing, then she was offering herself as available for being um, being his bride. And so there was this signal that was um, going on. Now, in case you're thinking that Ruth is a bit of a gold digger, and that so she's in on this scheme, I'm not sure that she really is. Remember, she's from Moab. She doesn't really understand all of the things that are going on. And in fact, her response to Naomi isn't, oh, Naomi, what a great plan, let's do this together. She has this blind faith in Naomi that says, if you tell me to do it, then I will take a step out in faith and do what you say. And so the the plan is put into action from verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. And this must have been a bit of a fright for Boaz because it says, in the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. What a shock. Who are you, he asked. And Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, 
since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And so this traditional, the symbolic act becomes more clear. Ruth is taking a step of faith and making herself vulnerable in the instance by putting herself in that place and location in that particular way, laying at his feet. But there's a part for him to do too, and that is that he is to cover her with the corner of his garment, since he is the guardian redeemer of our family. And so here is Boaz, um, not expecting this to happen, but clearly understanding the significance and the intention of what is being offered, so to speak, in this situation. And then it is going to be up to him to act. So Ruth um, tells him that. And the key thing that I want you to notice here is that, again, we come across this term that Boaz's relationship with both Naomi and through marriage with Ruth is a special relationship in that time and period of being a guardian redeemer or um, if you grew up in my era, we would call it a kinsman redeemer, same, same word, same meaning, where um, in the Jewish culture, um, when a man died, then his near relatives would have some responsibility to care for the widow. And so this idea of a kinsman redeemer is saying that Boaz is related to the family and therefore when um, Ruth's husband had died, that somehow in their culture it was appropriate for the kinsman to redeem her. Um, a kinsman redeemer is a male relative who has the responsibility to help a relative in need or in danger. Okay, so it doesn't necessarily mean that he has to marry her, um, but it means that there is some obligation to care for the wider family. And what happens in the scripture is that there are actually two stories about kinsmen redeemers. There is the story of Boaz which actually illustrates for us in very human terms and perhaps in ways that we can understand how a person can be a kinsman redeemer in the redemption of Ruth. Um, but there is a far greater kinsman redeemer in the story of scripture and that is the Lord Jesus himself who was our kinsperson born in human flesh and did all that he could to redeem us through his death on the cross. And so what happens is that we see in the story how um, it is giving us this idea that Boaz is in a position to um, help, to redeem, um, to save Ruth from the situation that she was in. Um, but Ruth herself can't do it. Ruth can't earn that redemption. She has to offer herself to Boaz and wait to see how he responds. And so here's Boaz's response, verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, as I said before, um, Boaz gets it, doesn't he? Okay, he, he clearly knows here is Ruth, who must have been a beauty on the inside and the outside, in her best clothes and with her perfumes. And he says to her, um, you've been so kind to me because you could have almost had your pick of all the fellows out there, the younger fellows, um, the people, whether they were rich or poor, 
and yet you are offering yourself to me. And he says, and now my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you're a woman of noble character. True that I am a guardian redeemer of our family. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. It's a bit like that Christmas movie, isn't it? It all seems to be heading to the climax, but there is another fellow involved who has a higher claim. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And so she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognised and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured it into six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. Boaz understands what's being asked. He actually responds by saying, not only have I seen your willingness to throw yourself at my feet, so to speak, but also um, I am responding in a very positive way. Um, Ruth's faith in Naomi and her trust in God, I would think, has led her to put herself in a very vulnerable situation. Her reputation could be destroyed in this sort of venture, but in Boaz she finds that her faith is well-placed. He is caring he is careful for her reputation. Um, he is providing for her the very food that she and Naomi see, needs to eat. And so um, as the um, story unfolds, um, we see that Boaz is now responding to Ruth's faith. And so the last part of the story, um, the epilogue is Ruth going back and telling Naomi what happened. Um, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi, I think she would have been an interesting lady, Naomi. Naomi said, how did it go, my daughter? And then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. I think Boaz knew that mum was part of this um, deal too. <laughs> then Naomi, Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. There is a tremendous trust in Boaz to do the right thing, to come through. Now, you might ask yourself, why such a story as Ruth is in the Bible? Um, it's a lovely story. It's a great romantic story of redeeming love. And in the foreground, you have this story of a, a Moabite woman who had no connection to the true God. And we see during the story that she is drawing closer and closer to God. But it is in the Bible to prepare us in our minds to understand the much greater redemption story of God's love for mankind, of God sending his only son to come and be our kinsman redeemer, to live amongst us, to take responsibility that when we reach out in faith to him to be saving us, um, not just in the short term, but in the internal framework. 
And you know what? I think the Bible, um, and even down through history, we see lots of examples where God has planted thoughts and ideas and patterns um, that will allow people to fully grasp the intents of God's good news, the gospel. When I was a teenager, um, an older teenager perhaps, I can remember one night, one um, night going to a meeting at Anala Baptist Church where I grew up. Um, I can actually tell you that it was on the 28th of September 1975. Um, so I've given you enough information to work out my age today, but that's all right. There's no prizes for that. Um, and it was a most unusual meeting because I went to the meeting. Um, there would have been less than a dozen people there. It was to go and hear a missionary, and this is how church works, isn't it? He was the brother-in-law of the wife of somebody in my church's son. And so somehow or other he'd been invited to come and share his story, and there was just a tiny group of us there. This guy's name was Don Richardson, and um, he told the story that and I, it's, it's, it's haunted me and it's stuck in my mind um, for all these years. Um, it, it was this, that he and his wife went as missionaries to the Sawi people in West Irian, which is on the western side of, of New Guinea. The people that they went to minister to were a Stone Age people. They were fierce warriors and they were cannibals to add into it. And so here is this man and his wife going and living in the midst of these people with the purpose to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they hit some troubles. The trouble was this, that the people's culture and background actually worked against them receiving the good news of Christ. You see, um, in their background, they were not only warlike, but they were cannibalistic. But in their culture, their culture revolved around what cannibalism really was like. And, and, and what it was like was this. There was nothing to be gained by just going and getting somebody. What you had to do was that you had to befriend somebody from another tribe and try and convince them that you were their good friend. Butter them up, so to speak, I guess. Honour honor who they are. And, and, and so there would be a whole long process that they thought was really uh, highly esteeming where you would get somebody so that they totally trusted you and eventually, when there was no doubt or trust, they would invite them to a feast in their honour. And um, once they went into that room and they locked the door, um, they discovered to their horror um, what was on the menu for that feast. Um, now, that sounds a bit strange to our culture, um, but this is the problem for these missionaries because what happened was that they started to unpack the scriptures and they started to talk about Jesus Christ and they talked about Judas Iscariot who had got Jesus' trust, was one of his disciples, and then betrayed him. And what happened was that when they started to tell the story, Judas became the most heroic person in the Bible and they cheered wildly and they thought that this was wonderful. Judas was just like them and he would have made a great Sowie warrior because of who he was. 
and Jesus they ridiculed because they thought how stupid was Jesus to allow himself to be tricked and betrayed and whatever. So these poor missionaries were really struggling to get across the message. It got worse for them because the warlikeness meant that um, tribal fighting broke out between surrounding um, tribes and so they were in the middle of a fiercely fought war. And one day Don asked somebody, they said, what would it take to stop the fighting and to bring peace? And what happened was this, that they said, well, there is a way in our culture where that can happen. And the way is this, that the chief of one of the warring tribes takes his only child or one of his children and he offers that child to go and live in the household of the other chief of the other tribe. And we call that child the peace child. Because while that child lives, there will be peace between the two villages. And what's more is that while that peace exists, if anybody was to raise a hand against the peace child, then that's a totally different story. That was the most horrendous thing. And so when they were able to share that Jesus Christ was God's peace child, sent into their world to live amongst them, all of a sudden, the whole understanding changed. Judas was now seen as the betrayer. How could he raise his hand against um, Jesus? But Jesus was seen as the very means in which God was making peace with the world. And the story goes on to say um, that many, many of those people became to faith because God had buried within their culture some understanding that when they heard the word of God, he could take that. And I suspect that the book of Ruth is a bit like that for us as well, and certainly down through the generations. I think Ruth is really a picture of a person who is born into a world which is without God and is moving towards um, intimacy and relationship with God. And so the redemption story there is not only redemption in terms of that human circumstance, but it actually is a forerunner of the redemption story of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, with Ruth, um, she was born absent from God and then she came into contact with some people who knew God in a way that she didn't know. She was influenced by them. She came into their circle of relationships, in this case, um, into their family through marriage. And we see how Ruth's journey continues to be willing to take steps of faith, not knowing what the circumstances are going to be, but moving towards God, um, hoping and trusting that God would be faithful. Um, she would have done that when she married into the family. She would have done that when she left the safety of her own culture and people and went and lived with Israel in Naomi. Um, she was still taking steps of faith when in the midst of their hardship and their poverty, she was prepared to listen to the counsel of Naomi and to put herself out there and offer herself um, to Boaz in terms of being their kinsman redeemer. And 
I don't want to steal Ash's thunder for next week, but the story goes on. Ruth's life is full of these steps that she takes where she is becoming closer and closer to God and God using her and the impact of her life um, actually filters down through history, through Jewish history and through today. So how do we respond? Well, sometimes we think that our response to God is about, do I make a decision to follow him? But like me tell you today that whilst that's one way to think about our relationship with God, for nearly every one of us, well probably every one of us, our relationship with God is a journey, not a point in time. This came through to me a few years ago um, when I used to work with Queensland Baptist. I had all sorts of jobs. Chauffeur was one of them. And um, I was asked to um, take an English evangelist named Dennis Pethers um, out to a country church for some seminars. And um, I was kind um, kind of good because he actually lived where I came from in England. And so we could talk about fish and chips and down at the boat harbour and whatever as well. Um, it was really interesting but he said something that was very profound because you see in church we often think evangelists are one type of people and disciples or discipleship is something else evangelism is sort of out there and discipleship is in here and he said evangelism is helping people to move closer to God It's helping people who know nothing about God to know more about God. It's helping people who have learned about God to take a step of faith to accept him as their Lord and Saviour. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going on. We keep growing in our relationship with God. And so this morning, our challenge from the book of Ruth is this. Ruth took steps of faith and waited on God to work in her life. And God is inviting us this year in 2023 to be a people who want to grow closer to him and to take steps of faith, not because we can make God do anything, but because when we put ourselves in his trust, then he will respond and do far more than we ever expect. I was looking at a few verses to to finish up with, um, and and these are verses down through um, the Old Testament into the New Testament where this principle is true that if we seek after God, we can be confident that he will respond to us. Deuteronomy 4.29, But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him, if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. 1 Chronicles 28.9, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledges the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will reject you. And then in the words of Jesus, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And so we too are on a journey. Ruth is more than a story. It's a pattern, a way of thinking about how God is dealing with us. And today and in this year, God is saying, wherever we are on that journey with God, keep taking steps towards God. Keep offering ourselves, not knowing how he will respond necessarily or how we can control what will happen, but knowing he's a good God who will always respond with our best interests at heart. And in doing that, it will be exciting to see how God's redemption story will be worked out again 2023, Brackenridge and in all other places as well. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and share, um, come and lead us in a moment. I'm just going to pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, um, sometimes when we read the Old Testament, we can just think that they are stories, um, nice stories. Um, when I watch those Christmas movies, they don't mean very much in some ways. But Father, in the book of Ruth, there's deep truth. Father, um, it just shows us that when a person has a heart to search after you, when a person has the faith and the courage to step out um, to follow you, Father, when a person offers their whole self into your care, Father, that you're going to respond. Father, you're going to guide us and direct us. And Father, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this church building and those online as well. And Father, those in our community, Father, just help us this week, this month, this year to take more steps that draw us closer to you. And that, Father, we will be giving testimony to the wonderful redemption story as it has worked itself out in our life. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.